Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for this opportunity we have to come together and to worship you in the study of the word. We ask you to guide and lead us as we look at this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, 1 Kings chapter 10, we're going to look at the visit of Queen Sheba and the riches of Solomon, and we'll see how far we get in this chapter. Um, We've been talking about uh, the building of of the temple and the second vision of Solomon. And we, we were talking about how much uh, Solomon had been giving uh, in sacrifices three times a year. And we left off with the fact that they had built a navy that would bring, bring gold back of 420 talents of gold every year. And we told you that was approximately $15 million in gold coming in, uh, being brought in by his navy. So. In gold into in gold. We're going to find out in this chapter that he said silver was worthless, and gold really wasn't of much value to him because uh, he just had so much of it. Um, so chapter ten, verse one. And when the king, when the queen of Sheba heard the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to prove him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great train of camels that bear spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she was come to Solomon, she communed with him of all that was was in her heart. And Solomon told her, answered all her questions, and there was not anything hid from the king which he told her not. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all Solomon's wisdom and the house that he had built and the meat at his table and the sitting of his servants and the attendance of his ministers and their apparel and his cupbearers, and their ascent by which he went up into the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. And she said to the king, It is a true report that I heard in my own land of, the, of your acts and in your, of your wisdom. Howbeit, I believe, I believe not the words until I came, and my eyes have seen it, and behold, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity exceeds the fame which I heard. Happy are your men, happy are these your servants which stand continually before you and that hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God which delights in you to set you on the throne of Israel because the Lord loved Israel forever. Therefore made you king to do judgment and justice. And she gave the king 120 talents of gold and spices, very great store, and precious stones. There came no such more abundance of spices as these, which were the queen of Sheba gave the king Solomon. And the navy also, we'll stop there. <laughs> no, we're going to finish. And, and the navy also of Hiram that brought gold from Ophir, brought in from Ophir great plenty of almug trees and precious stones and the king made of the almug trees pillars for the house of the Lord and the king's house harps also and psalteries for singers and there came no such almug trees nor were there seen to this day and the king Solomon and king Solomon gave unto the queen of Sheba all her desire whatsoever she asked beside that which Solomon gave her of his of his royal bounty so she turned and went to her own country she and her servants okay so we're going to look at this uh, story about the visit of Queen Sheba. The only place in history that we find reference to it is in the Bible. There's no other reference to it. They're not even sure uh, where Sheba is. There's two locations that Sheba could be. One of them is in 
uh, the south, south uh, east side of uh, Arabia, and the other one they believe would be the area of Ethiopia, which is where most people believe, because at least at one point in time that was a very prosperous, exceedingly prosperous area, but it seems to be outside the time of Solomon uh, from, from historical records. So we don't know. Uh, there are people then says because we can't prove it historically, then it must not be true. I'm not going to go there because we used to say the same thing about David and Solomon. They, up until about 80 years ago, they say David never existed. He was the King Arthur of Israel that never existed. There was a king, but none of it was as great as he said. And then all of a sudden, they started digging around and found the records that said that David was as prosperous and as as mighty as he as everything said. So. We won't say that this is not, we'll just say at this moment, there's no archaeological proof of this event. But because the Bible refers to it, it's somewhere. Um, so, but it says, the Queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon. Now, we, we kind of think this is interesting because in our day and age, we know that news travels fast. And for us, news travels exceedingly fast. I mean, you know, something's going on and the news is reporting it, which is a little faster than it used to be. Because uh, I remember growing up, you might hear a verbal report on the news about something going on, but you saw no pictures of it until the next day or even next week. Uh, because it took that long for the pictures to catch up. But news has always traveled fast. All right? And it's an amazing thing. The fame of Solomon traveled the world, the known world at that time, and then some, because the, the world was very large. And the Queen of Sheba heard, and we look at this, what did she hear about him? She heard of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord. Okay, it wasn't even just Solomon's wisdom that she was being in, which means that Solomon was doing something right. God was being honored in Solomon's kingdom because what she came to see was about God. God's reputation was being lifted up. And this is important for us as Christians. We want to make sure that when people think about us, what are they thinking about is not necessarily us, but what God is doing in our life through us or, or around us because of us. If we are trying to lift ourselves up, we're doing the wrong. We're doing the wrong thing. If it's like, look at me, you know, look, look how great I am. Look how whatever, you know, whatever. Solomon had great gift. He could have been saying it's all about me. And it seems that the reputation was he was saying God gave me this wisdom, so that people were getting to know that it was God who had done this. Solomon wasn't going, look at me, I'm so smart. I I learned this all myself. He's giving God the glory, and she came because she heard the news concerning the name of God. And she came with what this says, hard questions or difficult, perplexing questions. So she came with her purpose of trying to stump him. Okay? And, you know, and that's fine. It's not a problem. I've had uh, various times where I've done question and answer periods, and people will come in and say, I had one place where I taught a Sunday school class, and the last Sunday of every month we said, bring your questions, and people would go, I got a hard question for you. I'm going, good, looking forward to it. Now, most of the questions weren't really that hard, but you know the best thing I got out of this whole thing? They were in their Bible looking for questions. You know, they were in their Bible looking for questions to stump me. 
And if they stumped me on a, on a rare occasion, they would, I'm going, okay, now I'm going to have to go back and find the answer. I'll tell you what the answer is next week. But it, most of them weren't that hard. But, you know, people were in their Bibles. Solomon, people are coming to Solomon to say, you know, what are these hard questions? He's lifting up God's name. Is he getting an opportunity to share God with all these people that are coming to stump him? Yes, I think he was, because that's the reputation that's being brought out. He came concerning, heard concerning the name of God, not the name of Solomon. It wasn't Solomon's reputation that was being lifted up. It was the reputation of God that was being lifted up. And this is very important. Are we lifting up God? As Christians and believers, do we lift up God? Or are we going, look at me. You know, I am so smart. I'm such a great singer. I'm such a great worker. Whatever, whatever it is you want to try to make people pay attention to you. you know, or I give so much money or whatever it might be. There's people in churches that give lots of money and they want everybody to know that they're the one giving the money. If it wasn't for me, this church wouldn't be staying in existence. Well, I think my God would provide for us even if you didn't provide. And if you, if you think that's the case, go ahead and stop giving and we'll see what God does. And it's very important. People will go, well, if it wasn't for me serving in this church, nothing would get done. Well, you know what? My experience is when somebody disappears, God replaces them. And when God moves people on, he replaces them. They may be integral to the church. They may be very important. They're the one that's doing two and three jobs maybe. But they move on and God puts somebody in their place. And the fun thing is when they're that important, God usually puts two or three people in their place. That's what happened when I left College Park to come here. I was doing all kinds of jobs. We put a lot of people in my place. So instead of one person working, there were lots of people working. God is, does that all the time. And it's wonderful. It is wonderful when you look and you're going, okay, God, what are you going to do? This person is pretty important to us. What are you going to do to replace them? And watch him bring in the people. Or challenge somebody to step up. You know, and it's fun. It's fun to watch God work. Solomon's been doing this. You know, and people are coming to him with questions. And it says, she came to Jerusalem with a great train of camels that bear spices, much gold, precious stones. And when she was come to Solomon, she communed with him all that was in her heart. So she came uh, with a very large caravan of stuff. Uh, if anybody's ever seen the, the cartoon uh, Aladdin when he gets his wish and he comes in with you know, this huge train, picture that is what she's doing. You know, and I'm sure it wasn't just camels and, and stuff. She came with a, a division of uh, soldiers to keep them protected and uh, camels and, and all kinds of stuff to bring to him. Because one thing you did, if you go to a king, you do not go empty-handed to the king. Okay? She has got wealth. She's going to share with him wealth, and he's going to share with her wealth. Just remember in this last chapter, Solomon and Hiram have been giving gifts back and forth to each other. So, you know, uh, Solomon gives him 20 cities. Hiram gives him several million dollars in, in gold. All right? This is the way things happened. And she, uh, the Queen of Sheba is going to come up, and she's going to present him a lot. And she's going to expect the courtesy of having to go back with stuff. What stuff she's going to go back with, I don't know. But we're going to get a little glimpse of what she goes back with. But it says she got all that she desired. Whatever it was that she was desiring, she got. All right? Uh, but she comes in and he says there were lots of spices, gold, and precious stones. 
And she communed or just spoke and talked with him and asked him all these questions. And I'm sure the first questions were, here's, all the, here's the really hard questions, and then some, then some of the more personal questions, are, how can I run my kingdom better? You know, once, once he proved his wisdom to her, then it's like she could ask him the real questions that she came for. All right? Because her, her questions weren't the riddles and the, and the knowledge. She just wanted to see, is this man as wise and as smart as, he, as, I've, as I've heard tell? And people will do that to us. If they, if they think that you have answers and everything, they want to find out, are your answers worth anything? So a lot of times they will ask you questions that are frivolous questions. I've had, I've had people in my class do that. They'll ask really kind of strange questions about computers when I'm teaching computers. So I answer that, and then they start to trust me to be able to ask the other questions that they're really interested in uh, or, or that are more useful. And people will test, and we've all done it. You know, can I trust this person with information? Might give them something to see if they share it. You know, you know something fairly benign, but you know, are, are they going to share it with others? Or are they going to keep it quiet? Uh, are they going to give me good advice on something that I kind of feel comfortable with? And then you can say, and so here's where Solomon is. He, he answers her questions, and then she spends time in discussion with him, going over what it is. And it says in verse 3, that Solomon told her all of her questions. She an he answered all of her questions, and there was nothing hid from, from the king which he told her not. So God shared information. Have you ever been in a place where maybe you're sharing the gospel with something or sharing Jesus with somebody or, or whatever, and all of a sudden you're talking about things you didn't even know you knew the answers to? or you're being eloquent enough that you, don't know, you, you didn't know that you could do these things. Solomon had that experience oftentimes, I think, you know, because it was God. And there are many times where I've been giving advice to somebody, and I'm going, where did that advice come from? It's good advice. I, I know it's good advice, but it sure didn't come from me. <laughs> you know, and I could give good advice because I know the Bible, but there's times when it's just above and beyond. You know that it's God speaking, and this is what Solomon was doing most of the time when he answered these questions. You know, we had that. We had the picture of the, you know the two women coming to him, and he, you know his famous one. You know, you know can't figure out who the mom is. Okay, cut the baby in half. Give it. Give one to each mom. And and the mother obviously says, no, I'd rather somebody else have have my live baby than my baby be dead. And so Solomon then ended up giving it to the mother who was willing to sac you know sacrifice her baby to the other person, knowing that that's the mother's heart. You know, because we look at this, and there are these things that happen. And we need to keep in mind that God is a wisdom. His word is full of wisdom. If you want to know how to live, we get into God's word. And we all know that the, you know, the more we get into God's word, the more we learn how to live correctly. The more we learn to be good parents, good friends, good followers of God, just to good, good workers, good owners, whatever it might be, the Bible has the answers for everything that we need to do when we study it. And we study it and we read it and sometimes we don't understand that we're, you know, maybe not even aware that things are getting into our head until all of a sudden we do the right thing. And we go, wow, I know, I, I know this was right, why did I do it? And we go, oh yeah, I read it. I read it last, last week, last year, last month. And realize that God is changing us and the, we sing from the inside out and really his change is from the inside of us outward. It's not me changing the way I act, pretending. People do that all the time. 
Let me put on a good show for you. I'll quit drinking. I'll quit drugs. I'll quit you know, being dishonest. I'll quit manipulating people. It only lasts so long when it's from the outside in. Eventually, your heart will win out and say, well, you know, I've got this person trusting me. Now I can, you know, I can go back to where I want. And unfortunately, that's the way most romances go. They win each other's hearts by being really nice to each other and ignoring all the things they don't like about each other. And then they get married and, and feel like they've got, you know, got what they wanted, and then they, both of them, <laughs> become who they are. You know, and all of a sudden, the romance is over. You know, and this is why it's important you know, to be who we are. If somebody doesn't like me for who I am, then I can't pretend to be something else to get them to like me. You know, I want to be loving, I want to be kind, but they need to know, you know, who I am. And I know that I'm a hard person sometimes. I can be sharp at times, you know, and I try to be careful about that. But those who know me know that that is part of what I, who, who and what I am. You know, mostly love and kindness comes out nowadays, but, you know, in the past, it, I, I was a, you know, when I first started managing, you didn't want to work for me because I was hard. I was demanding and hard. I got away with it because I played no favorites. <laughs> but we need to be able to understand we need to, number one, grow. But that growth really does have to be God changing us from the inside and, and moving on. Uh, and verse 4 says, and when, she, and when the queen of Sheba had seen all Solomon's wisdom and the house that he had built, you know, which house? His palace? Possibly even his queen's house, you know, the Pharaoh's daughter's house and the temple. Because remember, we talked, over the last several chapters, we talked about Solomon building everything. Uh, and last chapter, we talked about all the stables that he built for his 1,000, 1,200 chariots and his thousands and thousands of horses and, and all of these things that he built, built buildings for. And he built this beautiful building for his, for his wife and all of this. She saw all of this. She saw how how great an architect he was, and he definitely has a, hist has a place in history as one of the great architects of the, of the old world. She saw all of this, and then it kind of gives an interesting, and the meat on his table. Now, if you remember here when we talked about how much food, if you remember several, several weeks ago, months ago at this point, the food on his table. And I can't remember all of it was, but I remember they had an ox and it was a dozen sheep or something, a bunch of goats, and and then it said, and then beyond and above these were the the geese and the and the ducks and the wildfowl and the deer. He put on a table and food every day. There was a huge feast, and she sees this. Now, this isn't just a once a week thing, a special event. This is his daily feast. I can't imagine that any of his people in his court were skinny. Uh, you know, with the feast that he put on, there was no, no skinny people in his feast, and I doubt that he was all that skinny, even though it doesn't say so. Okay? Uh, because you can't eat the way they were eating. Even though he would have had huge crowds, you still don't eat like that every day without, without that happening. And it says, the sitting of his servants, how he, how he, how he set them, the attendance of his ministers and their apparel. So the way, they were, the way his servants were dressed impressed her. 
Now, you've got to think about this. Most of these kings didn't dress their servants very well. And she's looking at his servants and saying, your servants are dressed in extreme finery. All right? Now, I'm sure that most kings did not let their, you know, blue jeans and, and sweatshirts <laughs> working. But, you know, she's, she's impressed by whatever it is that, that uh, Solomon had. And knowing the wealth of Solomon, it was probably gold, gold uh, you know, inlaid with gold and gold straps and buttons and all this. And she's looking at it and saying, wow, even your servants are dressed. And possibly, possibly his servants were dressed better than most of, their, most of these other king's you know, guests. You know, uh, and it says, his cupbearers and his ascent by which he went up into the house of the Lord or the steps that he has. And we're going to get a picture of that in a little bit when we look at his throne. And it says there was no more spirit in her or desire. Okay, It wasn't like she died. It was just that she had no more questions. She had no more desires to question him because she saw the absolute amount of his wealth and how well he treated his people. And, you know, this is important for us as Christians. How do we treat others is very important. As, and not just the body of Christ. I mean, that's a given that we should treat each other as Christians with great honor and lifting up and edifying and not tearing down. But how do we treat others you know, that we might consider not part of the body or not as good? Are we kind to them? Are we loving to them? Or are we judgmental and putting them down? This is what she's seeing, that Solomon has some care for his people. They're honored. They're, they're respected. They've got, they're well-dressed. They're you know, obviously being well-treated because that's impressing her. He's not, he's not being arrogant. And I've seen many people that get to be in charge of things and they get very arrogant. I trained lots of people in my lifetime. I promoted lots of people in my lifetime and many times I'd have to take them out back or into my office and, and tell them to back off. Just because you were given a title does not mean that you are, are God. You know, you're given the title because you were able to do the work, just keep doing it. And it's very important, how do we treat people that we think are inferior or feel that are inferior is very important. You know, whether they are or aren't really is beside the point, but how do we treat those type of people is very important. Do we treat people with respect? You know, we have this whole problem right now going on with racism and race being, being talked about, which is really sad because my attitude about it is there's one race and it's a human race. Everybody is a descendant of Adam and Eve, and the second descendant that they have in, in common is Noah and his wife. Every one of us have two descendants that are in common. Race should not be an issue with us, you know, because the Bible does not talk about that. Now, it talks about nationalities, and nationalities can cause problems as well. But, you know, we've got to be careful about how we deal with one another and say we are all God's children. And we need to treat each other with respect and honor. Now, the prison's the first place that I've had to pay attention to race in my entire life. And because if you, don't, if you don't pay attention to it, you get in trouble. And it could be, you know, if I'm looking to get AIDS, I can't hire, I mean, my best AIDS could all be black, and I can't hire all black AIDS. I have to go make sure I have a mix of races. And this is the first time I've ever had to pay attention to the race of somebody before I hire, you know, before I hire them. 
You know, and it drives me nuts because I've never paid attention to it. Uh, I hired, I've always been wanting to hire the best candidate for the job, period. You know, and it didn't matter about their, their race or their, or their, you know, or male or female. I just wanted the best workers. And to be able to have to pick the third or fourth best just so I can have the right mix of races is, is nuts. But I understand it, you know, in that environment. But, you know, we look at this and say, God, why can't we look at each other the way you look at us? And it takes time. It takes effort. And unfortunately, the church has been behind racism a lot. And we've been, even in our day and age right now, we have churches that are dividing again. They like to call them language churches where they make a Spanish church and a Korean church and everything. And I'm looking, why are we segregating our churches again? And they're going, well, we need to minister to. I'm going, I don't agree with you. You know, I, I would like to see other ways of doing it rather than segregating our churches again. And it's becoming a problem even within the church. And we've got to be careful because God does not approve of that. In the New Testament, we're told, you know, barbarians, Scynthians, Greeks, Romans, you know, Jews were all put together in one church. And Paul's going, there's no difference. Quit dividing yourself up by your groups. And, and it's really something that we need to be careful of. How do we deal with others? How do we honor others? Because it's very important that we take and work and hold up each other. Definitely within the body of Christ, that we build each other up, edify, be kind to one another. Now, does that mean we let people do whatever they want and do whatever sin they want? No. We're going to, tell, we're going to say, this is a sin, but we're still going to love them. The idea for Christians is we hate the sin, but love the sinner. And it's hard to split the two together, I understand. It's hard to separate somebody who's doing something so often that people get to think of them by what they do. You know, well, they're nothing but a thief, a robber, a liar, whatever, whatever it is. And we've got to be careful that we don't treat them according to their sin. We love them, we treat them and say, what you're doing is wrong, but God cares for you. God cares for the sinner. That's why Jesus died on the cross, is because he goes, I love you. For God commended his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We were not friendly with God when he died for us. None of us. Nobody was friendly with God when he died for us because we were sinners. We didn't want anything to do with God, and yet he died for us. Are we willing to be able to die for, the, for those that are around us that aren't Christians? That's a hard question. That's a hard question that most people aren't. Most people really aren't. But that is where the ultimate of love comes from. When we really get to the place where we are ready to reach out and talk to them and be willing to die for them if need be, that's when we really reach the epitome of love. In uh, David Wilkerson in The Cross and the Switchblade, when he was talking to Nikki Cruz, the gang leader, you know, and he said, God loves you, and Nikki told him, you know, don't say that. And he goes, well, by the way, I love you too. And he goes, well, I'm going to cut you into 150 pieces or something. And, go, and David turned to him and go, go ahead, and every one of the pieces will tell you that God loves you and I love you. Now, was David really feeling that bold and everything at the time? God gave him the words to speak, which were the right words. I think he meant him at the time that he said it. 
But you know, we need to get to that place where we love somebody enough that we're going to say, if, if my dying is what will bring you to Christ, then I'm willing to die. You know, if God wants to take me home so that somebody else can, can be ministered to and be accept Christ, Paul said it himself, God, I'm willing to die and go to hell if, the, if, my, if my people, the Jews, would go to heaven. Now, I'm not ready to go that far. I might be willing to die for somebody to come to, to get to go, but to, to go to hell, I'm not, willing to go, I'm not willing to go that far. But that is how far Paul loved his people. God, I am willing, if you were to save my people, I'd be willing to go to hell and, and as long as all of them went there. Moses said the same thing on, 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 on two occasions. God, if you just keep the people, take me. This is where love will drive us to if we're really asking God to show us. You know, are we willing? I'm not sure I'm at that point completely. There, there's a few people that are probably at that point for it, but you know, God would also give us the grace to do it. If he wants us to do it, he'll give us the grace to do it. And I, don't, and I think Paul also understood there was no way he was going to go to hell. But, his love, but the expression of his love was, God, I'm willing to. I am willing to sacrifice my life. Now the next question is, how many of us are willing to sacrifice our desires for somebody else? You know, how many times do we have to be right? <laughs> I, I have to have my way. And this is important for us because that is where sacrifice also comes down to. In a marriage, it comes down to pretty much we have to give up our desires in many cases. And saying, okay, God, if this is what it's going to take to make this person happy, I love them enough, I just want them to be happy. In the church, there's times when we have to make decisions that say, God, I just want somebody else to be happy. You know, one of the problems in most churches is the music. We've got all kinds of people all over the place, and what music are we going to sing? Nobody, everybody is never going to be happy. Okay? I get to pick the music, and I purposely pick music that I'm not happy with because others want that music. But it doesn't make me unhappy because my, I know that my goal is to bring people into worship for God. You know, to worship God. And if it, what it takes to make people worship God is what I want. And what, you know, I want people to understand that when we come to church, it's to worship God. And if it's not, we're coming to church for the wrong reasons. And so this is where it comes down to, and, you know, actually probably giving up your life is a whole lot easier than giving up your wants and desires. Giving up my life means I go to heaven. It's not really that big a deal. Giving up what I want is a much bigger deal. But it is important, and sometimes when we're asking for people to get saved, especially when it's family members, we've got to be careful that we don't stop our family members from having to go through a hard time. And I find this a lot of times with mothers, praying for their kids to get saved, and then when God starts working on their kids and, and taking the rug out from under their kids, they put the rug back under the kid. And it's like, uh, no, you're not helping them. <laughs> you know, you're not helping them come to Christ by being their safety blanket. And this is the hard thing when we deal with our own kids, even in, with our younger kids. You know, 
we want them to come to Christ, and yet we don't necessarily want them to go through any hard time. Until we recognize that we're a sinner, we will not come to Christ. And that's the first step. And we have to have our world shook up and taken out from under us a lot of times. Even when we're walking with Christ and growing with Christ, he takes the world and shakes it up to make us depend on him quite often. And God understands that that's what we as humans need. Because very few of us will learn from other people's mistakes. Very few of us will even look at the Bible and learn from their mistakes. We, we have this real tenacity that says, God, I've got to make my own mistakes. And God says, fine, if you want to make your own mistakes, here you go. We'll pull the carpet out for you. We'll let you fall into the fire. I'm going to be there to lift you up. But you know, there's always the consequences for that. If you want to learn the hard way, and I've learned the hard way on too many occasions, there's consequences that follow. There's consequences that follow, and sometimes those consequences last a long time. I have some consequences that I'm still paying for that happened almost four decades ago and are still being paid for. There are people who have had those same type of consequences. They've gone out, you know, drunk or stoned and driven and ended up fracturing bones and paying, you know, paying for, you know, with their bodily pains for the rest of their life. You know, consequences. Some of the consequences can be very severe. And we need to be very cautious of this and learn to trust God. I'm getting better. I don't argue with God as much as I used to. I still argue with him, unfortunately. My arguments don't usually last very long. I kind of learned over 48 years that God wins. And I haven't won a fight with God yet. And uh, you never will. I don't think I ever will. And, and there's, there's one of the things I want to put up on the, on the PowerPoints that uh, something along the lines, uh, give your battles to God, he hasn't lost one yet. <laughs> and that includes us. He's not going to lose a battle with us. And... You know, the sooner we learn to just surrender to him, the better and the easier our life is. We will never get perfect at it because there's always going to be that time when he comes up and says, I want you to give up this. God, I like that too much. I don't want to give that. I And you know, the longer we walk with him, the things he asks us to give up are good things, but not the best. They're not even sins in many cases. He says, I'd just like you to give this up. It's, it's nothing sinful. It's just give this up. It's taking time. I've got a better thing for you. you know, and we as Christians spend a lot of time living in the good rather than the best because we get comfortable in the good. And Satan will make sure that we're comfortable in the good. If, if we're going to be serving God and he can't get us into the bad, he'll say, let me just get you busy doing good. I'll get you busy doing good, lots of good stuff to keep us from doing the best stuff. And a lot of times when we're walking with God, the choice isn't between bad and good. It's for between good and best, or better and best. You know, this is some of the decisions, and those are hard decisions to make. Because, God, there's nothing wrong with this decision. Why, why aren't you, why are you, you know, why don't you want me to do this? And God says, because I've got something better. The unfortunate thing is, he usually doesn't tell us what the better is. Yeah. And I've said this over and over. That, you know, the Bible tells us in four places in the scriptures the just shall live by faith. 
It would be so nice if God just put an angel on our shoulder like the cartoon show saying, do this, do, you know, don't do this, do this, turn here, pick that person up, speak this word, say that. But unfortunately, he doesn't make it that easy for us. He says, are you going to listen to my still, small voice? And the more that we get busy and the more that we don't listen, the less we hear that still, small voice and make the right, and make wrong decisions. Back to Sheba. <laughs> so she had no more spirit, and she said to the king, it is a true report that I have heard in my own land of your acts and of your wisdom. So she goes, what I heard was true. Verse 7, howbeit I did not believe the words until I came. I really, this tells you how good the report was. She's hearing such great things about him that she couldn't believe them until she saw him. You know, have you ever met anybody that's that way? You've heard such good reports about them that you couldn't believe them until you met them, and it's good when they actually are true. You know, and you know, we, most of us have never met anybody like that, but there's some people I'd like to meet because the reports of them are so good. I'd love to meet them and see if they are true. I have the same picture. You know, is, it, is it really that good? Now, everything I read and heard about Billy Graham, he was a man of great integrity, great honesty, and preached the gospel. And many people met him and said, I didn't believe it would be true, but it was. And I never, and never will now, of course, because he's dead, but you know, he's one of those ones I would have loved to have met. Is he, is he, really, as, is he really as good as he says? And I really think he was. Now, and some of these other pastors I li- listened to, I'd love to go see them and just see are they really as good as it sounds that, that they are? Unfortunately, many aren't. <laughs> yeah. and, <laughs> but she says, and she goes, I couldn't believe the words until I came and saw it with my eyes. And then she goes, and behold, the half of it was not even told. She goes, as good as everything I heard was, it, was only, it wasn't even close to what was really true. And that is saying a lot. That is saying a lot about a person when you're saying that I've heard nothing but good about you, and it's even, even that was too little. Somebody like uh, George Mueller, you know, just prayed about everything. People came from all over the world to meet him and see, is it really, you know, is what we're hearing true? And they almost always came back with, we didn't even hear, that we didn't even begin to, begin to hear what was true about him. Wouldn't that be a great reputation for you? You're living for God, whatever level it is, and your reputation is so good that people, when they finally meet you, say, I didn't even hear half of what was, you know, I, everything I heard about you, and it wasn't even half what it is. And I hope that someday I might have that reputation out there. But you know, she's going to Solomon. <laughs> I, I, didn't expect it to be, I didn't expect it to be true, and then I found out it was even what I had heard wasn't, wasn't even close to what was out there. And, you know, you told me your wisdom, your prosperity is exceeding, you're exceeding the fame which I heard. So you're, you're wiser than I had heard. You're richer than I had heard. Uh, and then she goes, happy are your men, happy are your servants, which stand continually before you and that hear your wisdom. Now this is kind of an interesting statement. She's going, your people are so blessed, they get to hear you talk. Can you imagine what it would be like 
to be in Solomon's presence, just to, just to be the, the doorkeeper. We, we don't think about the servants very often, but you know, they stood there all the time. They got to hear every word he spoke. They got to hear, they didn't, and they didn't have to pay to hear it. They just got to hear it. You know, this is kind of an interesting statement on this. There are people in my life that I am glad that I have gotten to know as teachers of the word because I had the privilege of hearing them firsthand. I would have loved to have heard somebody like Dr. McGee at his church. And I met people that went to his church and they go, he was just as good in the church as he was on the radio. There, there are people I would have loved to have just been able to, and I've had some experiences sit under some good teachers. And she's saying, your people are blessed just because, your servants are blessed because they get to sit. They get to stand and listen to you as you teach the wisdom. Now whether they were as blessed, if they thought they were as blessed or not, maybe another story. But you know, think about this. We get to listen in our day and age, we get to listen to good Bible teachers on the radio, on the internet, hopefully right here in this church. <laughs> you know, do we really respect the information that we're getting? Do we really thrive on it? Because I know there have been times when I've taken for granted the teachers I sat under. And it's not until after I left and realized how good they were. Because I heard them every day. You know, or at least several times a week. I don't think I ever heard them every day, but I heard them several times a week and I got kind of familiar with what, they, what their message was. All of my kids have said the same thing as they've left home and they've gone out to find their own churches and they're going, we didn't realize how much we learned at home. And it wasn't just me, it was the, the teachers I had, but do we realize what we're getting is very important. And hopefully we do, but do we really realize it? We won't until we get out from under it. When I, when I was sitting under those teachers, I knew they were good teachers. But it wasn't, it wasn't until I got out from under their teaching and did, went to other places and going, I really miss that teacher. I wish I, maybe I should go back to that state. You know, that wasn't the time. It wasn't what was going on. And oftentimes we don't really fully appreciate what we have until it's gone. And that can happen with somebody who dies and we don't really realize what we had until they were gone. And we go, wow, I miss that person. I really didn't, didn't spend as much time with them or listen to them as much or spend, you know, and we realize after the fact because we are human beings and we get fickled. And this is the problem with God's blessings a lot of times, and I've shared this a lot of times. Sometimes we get so used to the blessings of God that we get to forget that they're blessings. They're just the normal way, and that's important for us to keep in mind. God's blessings are blessings. They're not just normal. It may become normal, but we want to make sure we always remember the blessings of God, that he is giving us these blessings and honoring us. He, he provides our food. He provides our jobs. He provides our, our, our homes. He provides the, the skills to be able to these, do these things. And when we forget that they're being blessed, he might just take them away from us for a while to remind us that they are blessings and honor. And we need to keep God and, and keep him in memory and keep thanking him. And then nine, in verse 9, she goes, Blessed be the Lord your God, which delights in you, to set you on the throne of Israel, because the Lord loved Israel forever. 
Therefore made he you king to do judgment and justice. I'm not sure if you're catching this, but she is honoring God after having talked with Solomon, which indicates Solomon's still talking about God. All right? When you're around people, do they know that you are God's child? Do they know? That doesn't mean you talk about God 100% of the time, but I've said this over and over. When you are with people, do they recognize that you are one of God's children and that God is important to you? How long can you go without talking about God? Hopefully not long. I have, been, I have been around people that can go on for hours and never bring God into their conversation. And it's like, okay, are, do you really love God? Especially, I'll, I'll challenge them when, they, when they're a Christian. You know, you've talked about sports, you've talked about the TV shows, you've been talking to me for three hours, and you've never mentioned anything that you read in the Bible God, what God has shown you, what has God has done in your life. How important is God to us? Out of the abundance of our heart, we speak. You know, and I'm not trying to be too introspective, but think about this every once in a while. How often does God approach and, and come out of, your, out of your mouth? Most of us in this room, frequently. <laughs> frequently. And I love it. I love people who come in and this is what God showed me. I really do. I love it when people come in and go, I was reading my Bible this morning and God showed me this. I love it when people get that excited about what God has shown them. Because that tells me a number of things. God is important to them. They're reading their Bible and God's talking to them. All three of those things are very important to me for people. I want to have people sharing God. I share them at the prison frequently. I'm not overt about it. I pretty much have to wait till I'm asked a question or asked, or somebody says, but you know what? It's not hard getting them. They'll go, why are you always so happy? Oh, let me tell you. Yes, let me tell you why, I, why I'm happy. Not that I think I'm happy all the time, but I'm, I'm told I'm happy all the time. You know, so I get to tell them. Let me tell you about God. You know, you know, I'm humming a tune or, or, or singing out loud if I'm walking across the yard and not, not everybody's around me, but, you know, but people know that there's something different. Do they know that something's different about you? When they look at you, are they seeing God? Are they seeing him being lifted up? Do they see the love of God coming out? And this is very important. Hopefully that's true of all of us, and hopefully that's the reputation that people have on us. That person knows God. You know, the disciples' reputation, the, from the scribes and Pharisees, even after Jesus died, they noted that they had walked with Jesus. He rubbed off on them so much that they knew these guys may not be as quite as good as Jesus' fellow, but these guys are just as much of pain in our side as they were. They walked with God. They walked in the Bible. They knew the, knew the word. And so she says, God raised you up. He's honored you. And then she, and then in verse uh, 10 it says, she gave to the king 120 talents of gold. 120 talents is approximately three and a half million dollars in gold. She was no beggar. <laughs> and then it says, and spices, very great store, and precious stones, and there came no more abundance of spices as what the queen gave him. How much spices is that? I don't know, but it's like, in essence, what they said is they didn't weigh them. 
There were so much spices that they, and precious gems that she gave them that they didn't weigh them, they didn't count them. It was a lot. You know, she emptied, these, emptied this train and filled a room or something up there and, you know, with spices. And she says she gave it all of this to the king. You know, what a gift. She's asking a question and she's providing a pretty good gift, so I have no idea what her questions were, but I'm sure her questions weren't, weren't uh, insignificant. You know, she's bringing a gift to him. And then they put in this literal statement in here in verse 11. And the navy also of Hiram that brought gold from Ophir, brought in from Ophir great plenty of almond trees and precious stones. And the king made of the almond trees pillars in the house of the Lord, and for the king's house harps and also and psalteries for singers. And there came no such almond trees, nor were there seen unto this day. Now in the previous chapter we talked about how $15 million worth of gold is coming in from Ophir. And remember, Ophir is a huge mine, a famous mine of their day. We believe most people place it in India, and it had the best gold. It was the purest gold that was coming, coming out in their, in their day. So the Hiram ships are bringing all of this gold in, and remember, Solomon built a navy, and Hiram had to give them the sailors because the Jews did not have sailors. So uh, whether this is talking literally of Hiram's navy or the ships that Hiram's giving him sailors for, we don't know. It says Hiram, so I'm going to accept that Hiram's bringing it. And then they bring that there's almond trees. Now the problem with almond trees is we have no idea what tree that is. Uh, a lot of the modern translations put in sandalwood as the, as the tree. Um, I did some research because if this was coming from India, I was looking at what tree is being used for musical instruments in India. And in India, they, they have what's called Indian rosewood that they make guitars and, and musical instruments out of. So I'm going to believe that it's probably the Indian rosewood that this tree is talking about, because I'm going to go with the idea that Ophir was in India, which means they were bringing a precious tree from there. Now, what tree it is, don't know. I think that the best of it, these trees were of such high quality. Okay. And it could be that they're gone too. I'm not, not going to rule that out. Uh, I read it just that, the, that it was of such great quality of the trees that they brought that there's been nothing like it. Uh, this is the best pine wood I've ever seen. I've never seen anything like it. This is, that's how I read it. You could be right, but I read it that he had the top quality. These, these were making beautiful instruments. Um, it would be like the Stradivarius violin. He used only certain kinds of woods in his, his, in his processing. Um, uh, various guitars uh, have had that same thing, that where the company will only use certain woods and if they, they, to make their, make their instruments out of And I'm not going to even begin to say them because I don't, I don't know which one, but I know my dad was always talking about this guitar is the best because they use this, this particular wood and it's the only wood they use in their guitars, and I'm going, okay, wonderful, because I wasn't, I wasn't that interested in the, in the guitars, but my dad was, and is. <laughs> like flawless wood. Well, flawless wood, yes. Yeah, this, is, this is high quality wood that he's gotten. Uh, so it could be that they used up the entire supply, or this particular one was just so high quality that he's noting it. But he makes 
instruments out of it. He puts pillars up in the, uh, as if he didn't have enough pillars in the, in, the te- in the temple. He's putting up more pillars. And these ones are made out of wood. These ones aren't covered with gold. So that tells you what he's thinking about this wood. He's not covering this wood with gold. Everything was covered in gold, but this one doesn't say he covered them with gold. This, he was looking at this and saying this is better than gold. You know, whatever the, 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 whatever people look for in wood. I'm not, I'm not a carpenter, but I've, I've had carpenters try to show me, see how good this wood is, see the, see the grain and see this, and I'm going, okay, yeah, I see, I see grain. <laughs> yeah. But for a carpenter, certain woods, they look at certain woods and say this is, this is perfect. This is just the right patterns, and look at this and look at that, and going. If you say so, I'm going to believe it. I'm going to believe it. Now, now, of course, I have the same problem with when I go through the Word of God. I have the same problem. Look at this. Look at this. I have people looking at me like, oh, huh? What, what, what? So I understand my attitude toward it. I'm not saying they're wrong for their attitude. I just I don't understand what they're looking at. So it's hard for me that he didn't. It doesn't say he covered these pillars with gold. So he's seeing something in the wood the fine grain or something in this wood and when it's polished up and saying this is perfect wood we can't we're, we're not going to cover it with gold because at this point he's getting millions and millions of dollars worth of gold he's probably getting tired of gold you know this is you know, we kind of think we kind of laugh at that because gold in our day is very precious still but he's got so much gold that he's looking at it and saying I, I want to see something other than gold and we're going to read it not get to it this week but we're going to read it he makes shields out of gold now, not to go battling, but just to, because to, to, gold would be very weak. You wouldn't want to go to battle. But yeah. for decorative shields, he, he builds shields out of gold. You know, who builds shields out of gold? You know, it's like, this is how rich Solomon is. But he's using everyday things, building them out of gold. And we're told in the previous chapter, all of his drinking, drinking vessels and his plates are all out of gold. He, no silver plates, no pewter plates, no, no, no ceramic plates. Everything in, everything that goes in front of him is gold. So I think he's looking at this and saying, this is something different. This is precious. There's no wood like this wood that they brought to me. Because everything else has been cedar, and he's covered the cedar with, and cedar is good wood for building things, and he covers it with gold. So whatever this tree is had, a, had, a, had something on it that he's saying, this is special. This is special, and I kind of wish we knew more about it, but it's, as I've said, with many of these specific words, we don't know what they are. When we talk about the botany, because, you know, plants, plants, botany, the study of plants. Uh, we use those words, and then we don't always know what they are. When they name animals, we don't always know what they are, because that was a very specialized word. You know, and, we, and we have it in English, you know, if somebody says the tines on the fork were, were dull, you know, in that case you'd know what it is, but if they just told you, you know, the tines were bad, well, what the heck's a tine? Unless you know that word, you know, so, you know, 20 years from now, somebody will go, well, what, what's a tine? You know, what, what were they talking about? You know, so this is these type of words. There's a lot of words in this, and we just don't know the tree. It's just like when they said in, the, in, in Genesis that Noah built the ark out of gopher wood. We don't know what gopher wood is, all right? It's, it's just a wood. <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe gophers liked it. I don't know. But, it's, you know, 
But, but you understand what I'm saying? A lot of times when they name an animal, we don't know exactly what animal they're referring to. We kind of know it's a bird when it talks about this and listed in the fowl, you know, the fowls, or we know it's some kind of cat when they list it with other cats that we know, or, you know, uh, but other than that, we don't always know what the words are because this is an old language. And so, and the last verse to look at is verse 13. And the king Solomon gave unto Queen of Sheba all her desires of what she delighted in, whatsoever she asked. So he, she gave him a great gift, and we don't know what she asked for in return. All right? And she's got lots of gold. She gave gold. Maybe she needs silver. Maybe she needs, you know, uh, maybe she needs animals. So we're going to find that in the rest of this chapter, Solomon's getting exotic animals coming to him all the time as well. He's got apes. He's got peacocks. He's got, all, maybe she wanted some exotic animals to go with her. Maybe she wanted some servants, you know, uh, well-trained servant. We don't know what she wanted. But whatever she wanted, he provided for her. So she's going to get all that she wants. And it says that whatever she asked besides that which Solomon gave to her of his royal bounty. All right? So he's getting her some kind of gift. Now, what do you give somebody who's given you uh, $3.5 million worth of gold? You give them more gold in return? I don't know. She's brought precious jewels. She's brought spices. What is it that, she, that they have? I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe it's produce. You know, maybe it's the almonds, almonds of the t- you know, land or, the, or, the, or you know, it could be something that is growing in their land that they don't, and he gives her an abundance of that. Or maybe she wants all of those clothes that We don't know, and, you're, and you're, uh, we don't know. One thing about barter is when both people get a good deal, they think it's a good deal. No matter what they got in exchange or gave for it, hopefully they feel that they got a good deal, and it looks like she feels she got a good deal. She gives him lots of gold, which apparently was abundant in her, her place. She has lots of spices, lots of precious gems, which is a good idea to think of Ethiopia because all those are very, very uh, big in Ethiopia. Gems, gems and spices. Uh, and what did she get in return? Whatever, whatever, grew, whatever was available in Palestine or in Jerusalem at that time that she could not get in her home. Uh, so, but she left happy. She got everything that she wanted, and, and it says that Solomon gave her out of his royal bounty, so his gift had to be at least as big as hers to start with. Her, well, matching her generosity. Because the king, these kings and queens, when they gave gifts, they weren't trying to outgive each other, but you also thought, I got this much, I've got to give back a gift of, of equal, unless you really thought yourself really more important and you just said, I'm just taking. But Solomon doesn't appear to have that attitude. He's been, he's been working with Hiram and giving Hiram great gifts all along and giving him lots of, lots of uh, stuff out of his kingdom. So he's getting... He's giving something that is equally valuable to her. Now, you know, what that is, it doesn't tell us. He just says he gave her out of his royal bounty. And we know that he was very wealthy. Because she says, you know, they didn't even come close to talking about how prosperous you are. So he's going to give her a gift. And probably, because he is the richer, going to give her more than she gave him. Okay? Because this is what is 
in the Middle East, that is expected. You give a gift greater. The person who has the, the, the more, at least in this day, was supposed to give a bigger gift, basically to kind of show off. You gave me $100 worth of stuff, I'm going to give you $200 worth of stuff, whatever that stuff was, all right? Uh, because that was just the way it was. The, the mightier blessed the lesser. And Solomon would have pronounced the blessing of God on her and all of that. And then she says she turned away and went home with her servants. So she, she's going to, she went to see him to see if everything was true, found out it was, and went back. Probably filled all her camels again with, yeah. <laughs> with the stuff to go back, whatever, whatever the stuff was. You know, maybe she took sheepskin. Who knows? I don't know how popular sheep were. And they all, who knows what she took? But she's leading happy, huh? It could just be the knowledge that she got. Maybe, maybe she went back with a library. You know, maybe she went back with a library of books that Solomon had written. We don't know what she went back. She went back with something. You know, when, it says that Solomon wrote books. So it could have been that he gave her a library of books to go with, go home with. Yeah. Uh, so we don't know what she went, but obviously she went home happy. And it says she gave, he gave out of his royal bounty, so we do know some of it is stuff. It's not just books. It's just not knowledge. She went back with something of value that she's concerned about. Knowledge, again, knowledge is not a, yeah. we're not going to downplay the knowledge. Um, she could have been happy just going home with the knowledge, but because it says he, out of his royal bounty, she also went home with some stuff. What stuff? Yeah, think about, when we talk about this, when Jacob sent his sons down to Egypt to buy food the second time, or even the first time, he didn't send his sons empty-handed. He said, take the best of our honey, take the best of our, our dates. He goes, have something to give to him. Even though we don't have grain and you're going to go give grain, take the best of what we do have. So there's, there's this idea that what is being exchanged, we don't know. It could be something as simple as honey. Israel is known for its honey, and maybe, maybe that would have been something she could have gone home with. We don't, we don't know what it is, but she went home with stuff from Solomon as well as the knowledge. And so it was a good visit for her. She, she leaves happy <laughs> with what she got. All right, we're going to close in prayer here. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, help us to always remember you and be, be happy with your gifts that you've given us. Lord, help us to be generous, to share. Help us to have the right attitude toward others and, and work with others. And we just thank you for the changes that you make in our heart as you live in us. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.